Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our GYST podcast, where we help you get your together. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of your favorite podcast, the GYST podcast, also known as Get Your Shit Together. Together. Excellent job. If you have been following us on social media, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, if you are friends with any of us, that this is a special episode. So this episode is all about suicide and why you matter. The way this episode kind of came about was I was having a, a conversation with a good friend and I had no idea, but that person told me, we were talking about what's the day that turns your life around? What's the moment? And this person told me it was when they had a gun in their mouth and their own hand on the trigger. A couple hours later, after the friend told me that, uh, had another friend reach out to me, someone that I had talked in about seven years or so, and just a simple text saying, bro, I'm not in a good spot. I need some positivity. You were the first person that popped into my head. Now, this person is someone that Kyle and I both know. After I talked to him, I called Kyle and I was like, Kyle, like, we've got to do something. So that's how this episode kind of came about. And so this is going to have a different take than normal. We're going to start it off by on our Facebook we posed a survey and, and we got some tremendous feedback from everyone. And so we're going to go over just some of the quotes that people had about just suicide in general and, and how it's touched their lives. So with you, part of the team, I'm Rohit Rohila. Kyle Reed. Ahmed Bardwaj on the mic. Ruben Marquez. So with that, let's get started. So what we're going to do is just read directly from a lot of the feedback. And also we want you guys to know... We like to keep our normal episodes at about 30 minutes. We're not with this. We don't know when this episode is going to end, but this is all from the heart. This is a bit more serious. Um, if you just listen to us casually when you're at the gym or something like that, maybe this isn't the best episode for that. But this is this is something that we take great pride in. And just from a personal standpoint, I'm so proud of this team because we all came together and created this for you guys. So with that, one of the, the feedbacks that someone wrote was, I often tell people that we can't let down thoughts get the best of us. No storm lasts forever. We must keep fighting and pushing through because suicide is a permanent solution to temporary problems. Suicide is not just a teen issue. I've known children as young as six who have thought about attempted suicide. Anyone pondering suicide, absolutely let other people know where your thoughts are at. Don't let the quote unquote, oh my God, you're just looking for sympathy slash attention trap, dissuade you from coming forward about your feelings. It is indeed from a self-defense against ending your life. So please yell out for your help. We had some really positive things that, that, that people were saying. But at the same time, we had a lot of hurt as well. And so with this questionnaire that we sent out, we had about 60 plus people respond. And these numbers were very shocking to me, especially because most of the people who responded are people that I know. You know, these, these are people who, who we're all friends with. So with the question, do you know anyone who has considered suicide? Over 90% said yes. 
do you know someone who has attempted suicide or has taken their own life? 73% said yes. Have you ever considered suicide? And of our friends, 60% said yes. Have you ever attempted suicide? Of our friends, 25% said yes. So one out of every four of our friends has tried to commit suicide. Suicide is also in the top 10 of leading causes of death in the U.S. And amongst most of our listeners, age group 15 to 34, it's actually the second leading cause of death. Behind what? Behind accidents, number one, and more than cancer and murder. Wow. This is going to be a tough episode. And so with that, whew, I would um, I would like to introduce one of my mentors. One of the things that I always talk about on this podcast is the importance of mentors. And one of my mentors for a long time has been a man that I have nothing but love for, Michael Johnson, who has, Michael, I'm just so proud of all the things that you've done. The fact that you are still a part of my life and, and have allowed me to be a part of your life is just amazing. It's going to be such a treat for our listeners to hear about you, your story, what you're doing with Reboot uh, Combat Recovery Program. So with that, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. And I know you've got some some of your own experiences to, to kind of share with us. Thank you. And it is an honor and a privilege to be here with all you guys and then also here for others to hear. Uh, this is an area that's uh, interesting uh, for me. There is some experiences. And just even as Rohit was sharing, I uh, just want to encapsulate a couple of things. And that was the interesting thing. He says, you know, he's been a, he's been a part of my life. In fact, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Rohit in December 2009 when I was at a very dark place. And he, he happened to reach out, and that was right around Christmas in December of 2009, and said, hey, having another seminar coming in January 2010. And I went to that, and uh, it was one of my things that was, and that was a very instrumental change in my life. And when we graduated that weekend, four-day seminar, when we graduated that weekend, I walked across the room with a bobber in my hand, a float from a fishing uh, expedition thing that I was on just that December. And I was carrying that in my pocket as a reminder to keep myself afloat, that I have something to hang on to, and that my life was worth living for someone else. I just didn't know who yet. And it was because you reached out for Rohit and said, hey, by the way, this is going on. Are you available to go? That, that's why I'm here today. And uh, here today physically and here today because of this subject. A lot of things gone on in my life. A lot of things I've done very successful, very everything. And uh, in that year of 2009, a lot of stuff was ripped away. Uh, and a lot of it has to do more with the... PTS things that I work with, and that's what the combat recovery program is really about. But one of the things that they pride themselves on is the fact that out of the programs that are available, this is one of the programs that has had zero suicides in the people attending the course for the 10 years that it's been around. And in the military, there are a lot of suicidal deaths. So one of the questions you asked in that, or the comments that your viewers 
noted is, you know, have you thought of suicide? Have you attempted suicide or planned it? And I have. It was in that place where I said, you know, what else is there? I have nothing. Nobody cares whether I live or die. Or these were my beliefs. I entertained it. The more I entertained it, the more I went in that downward spiral into that dark area. Planned it. I mean, and I knew all kinds of ways. Most of it was using my vehicle. I can go too fast around the, court, uh, around the curve and go off the edge of a cliff. You know, and I could plan it just right. I, can, I could go into some barriers or whatever. I mean, I, I can I new strategies of how I can make it happen and look like an accident to save pride and dignity, if you will. Those things are there and they were going through. And it was at that time when I was actually reaching out to a, my youngest brother and just shared what was, going, what was going on. It was after the fact, after I actually went through the process and was more of a recovery. And that's what I want to hit on later on as we talk in this dialogue is the fact that I wasn't willing to reach out in that place. Someone else had to reach in. And that's what we have to realize that there's resources, there's call lines, there's this stuff. But when I'm stuck in that place, I don't want to reach out. I'm not thinking in the cognitive ability of what can help me in the moment. I'm trying to find out what can help me in the pain. And so in that process, as I did reach out to my brother, he goes, how dare you be so selfish that you would rob me of my brother? How selfish of you to hurt me that I'd never be able to go back to you and have that brother. And that was a wake-up call. And again, there's still emotion around that now, but that was something that was very heavy in a positive way. It was very solid in a, wow, there's something. And that's what, it was in that time. Uh, later on in 2010, another friend actually, uh, which I, again, these are all reflection points that I'm on right now as we're going into our graduation of the combat recovery program. But a friend of mine actually uh, was in, formulated Operation New Normal. And it basically realized the fact that whatever trauma, whatever events, whatever things we've gone through, you can't go back. It cannot be the same. You've got to start where you are. There's a new normal that's possible. And that's what, you know, the real shift is, is realizing, yes, things have happened in my past. Whatever those things are, the circumstance, the results, they don't define me unless I surrender my power to it. And at any moment, I can choose that right now is a new opportunity for me to do something different. And here's my new normal. I define it from this day forward how I proceed. As we're looking at this part of the suicidology, if you will, the, uh, what I like about what the, um, the reboot, the combat recovery program kind of dialogues on is that they have three tenets that they go by. And the first one is community. As we were sharing downstairs a little bit prior to this, I don't know, actually, most of you guys, can we come together and share in a brotherhood of sort? There may be something in me that you can connect with or experience that you can share with that can bring us together. That's what people are going to need for the solution. And then we can get to that area that's the heart issue that needs to be, you know, the wounds that are there that need to be healed and so forth. So that's what we I really love about what they do, because the first aspect of community is having that connection with people. Being in isolation is the most drastic part when people start going in that downward spiral. And that's where I was at. When I was checked out, when I was isolated, when I went off on my own thing, there's no one there to help. And, and the problem is I didn't want anyone to help. 
So when we know people, friends or something, and we're noticing a shift, noticing a change, and they're pushing away, something's building a wall. And we don't have to knock the wall down. We don't want to knock the wall down. But we do want to come alongside them as they're facing that wall and ask, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Fine. Right? Have we heard that before? No. Hey, how's everything going? Great. Too many times. Right? I'm but good. are they? Huh? I'm good. Good. I'm yeah, good. I'm good. I'm good. It's all good. Yeah, really? So tell me, what's good? <laughs> you know, yes. pull it back a little bit. You yeah. Be willing to invest in there. Because a lot of times they're just pulling up, a, you know, the smoke screen, putting up a thing and seeing if anyone buys into it and leaves them alone. Because they don't want to have that connection. <clears throat> Yet we're created for connection, for relationship. And it's the wounds and hurts that keep us away from that connection. And so the first part is, is really looking at connection. And community does that. And community is whatever cluster of people you have. And then the second part of the community that we define is those are the community resources that are out there to help, which are fantastic. But I don't want help because I'm already withdrawing and going into isolation, retreating. No, in, in fact, I can't even share my problem because everyone's going to judge me, criticize me. I'm walking in my own shame and guilt. I'm keeping my secrets, whatever those are. And so as we learn to walk in trust and walk alongside, sometimes we don't even have to talk. We can just be there. And that's what these guys did when they took me fishing. They weren't talking about the stuff. They already knew some of the stuff. But they really weren't asking about the stuff. They're just saying, hey, let's just go do something together. Let's go fishing. And we're walking out and going in there and steelhead fishing and going through all these swamps and tromps and, you know, all the stuff. It's, it's all tangled up in that mesh of the along the bank was where that float was at and when I looked down that's what my life looked like a bunch of string wrapped around a whole bunch of stuff and a little float just bobbling in the water just barely afloat being suppressed by all the entanglement held by the weeds and the string and that was a that was a sign to me to reach down and pull it out and cut away all that stuff that was restricting and just holding that in my pocket I could always reach in and feel it, touch it, know that there was something to live for. The second thing was family that we work in because everyone in, in this process that we're doing with the recovery, combat recovery, the trauma recovery process is everyone's affected. And the question is, does, are we letting family in? Because often that's the first part we disconnect from. That's what happened with me. So if we separate ourselves the beauty is that family can know when that's happening to reach in and help, to support, to invest in, whatever that may look like for that. And our third tenant that we use is actually service or contribution. And the beauty is when you've gone through that journey, when you've fought that battle and you have a victory in that aspect, how much more you can give to others. All of us are growing. All of us are moving forward. And we're all on a journey, it just looks a little different. The paths are a little different. But we can relate, we can share, we can come and find that commonality, and we can fight it and beat it together. And I think that's where, as listeners, one of the things that we, we realize is if we're having thoughts of suicide <clears throat> and everything else, and that there's a, there's a whole bunch of components of the body, and I'm going to kind of butcher some of them, if you will. When we're in the fight, fight, freeze and numb mentality. We call that the limbic system. It's whatever we're perceiving by our senses and our mind or our own lies and thoughts, we're reacting to it 
and chemicals in our body, different hormones are being released for us to survive that moment. And when that happens, we're just, we're usually filtering everything from the wounds that we had that we experienced, and we're perceiving everything as a threat based on something that happened in the past. So whatever's going on in the moment, it looks so large and so overwhelming, but it really isn't. And there is hope and there is assurance. And it's really just having somebody to walk with, talk with, and meet with. Yet, we want to survive, so the first thing we do is check out. We go into isolation. So the things that we need the most is what we're normally not going to look for or you know, or check into. And so that's why others coming in and reaching in is what's going to be valuable to us. The second thing is that as those hormones are going and everything else, it actually dislodges, if you will. It's not the technical term. But it actually cuts off our logic part because we go into a reactionary mode. We're reacting to circumstances and situations. And we actually cut off the prefrontal cortex, which is our thought process or our creativity process that gives us solutions. So either way, we don't see the solution. We're stuck in the trees or stuck in the woods and we don't care which one they are. We're in the midst of it and it's all dark. But somewhere out there is, and if we can just get a bearing, just set an azimuth, and go in one direction, we'll eventually hit something that's going to be a clearing and get the light. But we trust nothing, we don't do anything, and we just go in circles, and we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. So again, realizing in that moment when stuff's going on, we're trying to survive, and we're really not thinking of the results of suicide. We're thinking, how can we end the pain in the moment? and not really re recognizing the end result that happens. And I've heard a phrase that I really come to admire, and that is suicide really is me transferring my pain onto those around me I love without any hope of a solution. And now he's carrying a pain that he has absolutely no idea what to do and can't find a solution for. Asking questions, wondering why, how, what could I, should have, would have. Yeah. All these things were caring. I was there. I should have prevented. I could have stopped. I should have whatever. I'm carrying now all that guilt and all that shame that was left behind. What? Go ahead. As you were discussing this, and, and that's the, the first thing that I'm coming to, is uh, the, the, the questions that everyone around you has and how disconnected you, you felt at certain times. What gave you the courage to have the conversation with your brother when he asked you? Yeah, it was more of, um, yeah, he didn't ask as much as I shared. And it was yeah. when I got through that process to a point when I could. So I yeah. wasn't in the darkness of the moment. Mm -hmm. It was when I'd already gone out. And again, it was him reaching out, mm -hmm. Rohit, right? And speaking, hey, let's go to this thing together. And he had no idea what was going on. Wow. Hey, by the way, they're having this. You want to go? You know? Yeah. I'm wondering, do I really want to go? But for whatever reason, I said, yeah, let's go. So that was that part of it. Mm -hmm. But again, it was him reaching in, him doing that. Um, I was just finally to a place where I could reach out to my brother and was actually going to go down and visit for some other things. And was when I was there with him sharing yeah. what I've been going through, how I've gone past that process, that that's when he shared that point. Got it. So thanks. Yeah. So you were you were in the tunnel, we'll say, when Rohit contacted you. Correct. And that was towards the end of the tunnel. You began to see some light. 
that that's what actually opened up the light to get into the tunnel. God, I didn't realize I was in. God, it was getting getting coming reaching in and actually going through that workshop, realizing, and the whole focus of that process is being responsible. Realize the choices that I'm making are producing the fruit that I'm, the results that I'm having. We talked about this. Yeah. And what the combat recovery program actually goes into is what is the root. We see the tree, we identify it by the fruit, but is it toxic fruit or healthy fruit? All depends on how it's being nourished. All depends on where the roots are set and the conditions of the soil. Mine was in the darkness. Mine was in despair. Mine was in judgment. Mine was in abandonment, rejection. I had all these, later now I can put all the emotional names. That's mm-hmm. another key point. What are the, what are you guys going through right now? Recognition. Rec- recognizing true. what's going on and recognizing that's not who you are. Yes, you've been betrayed, you've been abandoned, you've been abused, you've been neglected, you've been, you know, we can put a whole bunch of things on there. What happens is that we then take that on as an identity. Yeah, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, nobody does this. Whatever I'm going through right now, loss a job, loss a girlfriend, lost, you know, whatever. In most cases, when it comes to suicide, it's about a great loss. Something significant was taken. Usually it's out of injustice betrayal, whatever, and everything seems hopeless. And we're entering into the season of hope, right? Again, the Christmas holiday season is about hope, joy, love, and peace. Those are the four tenets that we see on most of the cards that are floating around. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned at the very beginning, I think is the fact is, you know, the, the value is to realize that the addressing issue that we have here with this discussion on suicide is it's you that matters. You, the listener, are what matter. You are what are worthy and significant. We all have a purpose and a value to give. And to take that away, we're robbing ourselves of that gift. We're robbing those around us and the world of that gift. My son committed suicide seven months ago, 21 years old. Got into drinking, all this other kind of stuff. Also was on medications for some other stuff and took a gun to his head. Because he saw no other option. And suppose he was doing well. And I wasn't around, I'm not, I wasn't connected because of, you know, the divorce process I went through, which was the 2009. Mm -hmm. But whatever was going on, whatever pain he was, whatever demons he was wrestling with, those thoughts... He felt that that's the only way to escape. And all the, and the, the, the sadness is the fact that is he had a voice to use. He had a message to give, and it silenced. Because the message that he was to give, whatever God had created and birthed in who he was, was robbed in an early age. And it's like, wow, how much he had of an opportunity to do that was never realized and will never be recognized because of a choice, a single choice in a single moment of desperation. And those choices are being made daily. And for military veterans, 22 are committing suicide a day. It's huge. Because they're wrestling with the stuff, the shame and the guilt and the insignificance and the loss the loss of the people that were with them, or when they come back. Separations, families, divorce, broken up, 
abused. They're, they're dealing with the stuff they saw and they're drinking to cover it up and they lose everything around them. And now what do they have left? They still have stuff left. We all have something left. But it is going to take someone to look in and see my value when I don't see it. And say, hey, what are you doing? And I'll, I'll be honest. Barohit, he didn't know. He didn't see what was there. But he knew what was there. His heart sensed. Hey, by the way, what are you doing? Hey, let's do this. Let's get to Hey, did you know, you know, whatever it was. And if he didn't know it, God did and used him to reach me because I wouldn't listen. That's huge. You, you said something earlier. Th- thank you for sharing all that. First, um, you had said something earlier and you, you mentioned the word injury. And I like that because I think it tells the listeners and everyone uh, involved that it's just that. Injuries heal. It's an injury. Mm-hmm. It will heal. It can heal. You can help it. People around you can help it heal. But until you recognize that, it's going to continue to fester. If you fall on the ground and skin your knee and you never put a Band-Aid on it, mm-hmm. and you don't do anything about it, it's never going to get any better. You have to address it. So I, I think that really struck a chord with me when you had mentioned that, that no matter what the feeling is, what, whatever the pain is, it's an injury and it can heal, given the proper attention. Yeah. No matter what it is. And I, and I think that's what we need our listeners to believe. And I think open discussion is going to help with that. Absolutely. And, and I love what you're saying, too, because part of open discussion sometimes requires opening the wound yeah. to clean it out. Absolutely. Because part of the festering process is also the infection process. It's trying to cover itself up. Yeah, it's trying to heal and fight and everything else. But it's sealed up. It's yeah. covered up. And it's fighting the disease that's in there. We've got to reopen it, and it's painful. Yeah. And then we clean it out. Because we addressed because it. Because we took we care of the need. We met the need. We had an episode not too long ago called Investing in Friendships. And we discussed things that we do for our friends. And if you've ever moved or you've ever flown somewhere. <laughs> I got right? ratchet straps. Right? <laughs> right? So you, you, those are two things. Who's when someone says, airport? hey, do you want to take me to the airport? No, I don't want to take you to the airport. But, I but you're my friend and I will. If you've ever flown anywhere, if you've ever moved, whoever helped you move, whoever took you to the airport, if you've ever got a flat tire on the side of the road, as you mentioned, whoever helped you, that's the person you call. That's the person you can trust with this conversation. I know a lot of people have moved. A lot of people. <laughs> but that's, I think that's what people need to realize. It's those same people. Nobody wants to help anybody move. But they do it anyway because you're worth it. You are worth their time. And don't ever forget that. And those are usually our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own beliefs, the lies that are in our head. You know, not worth anything, not loved, not cared about. And the fact is, okay, great. Hand those over. Give that up. Now, what's the truth? What is the truth about who we really are? our character, our integrity, our identity, what we contribute, what we give. So the degree of which I don't love myself is the limitation, the greatest limitation of which I can love him. Damn. 
Because if I only love myself this much, I'm not going to give the same. I'm, I'm going to give a little less even, right? I want to hold some back for me. So to the limited degree that I love myself, accept myself, value myself, is the limitation, the greatest limitation to the degree that I can actually love him. And that woke me up. Because I couldn't look in the mirror and see how great I was. Because I was constantly looking at myself through all the rejection that I was receiving in my eyes. I'm not good enough. I did this. I failed here. I messed this up. They don't this. I got, you know, all the judgments. And most of them aren't true. They're just what I believe other people are saying. But I'm holding on to as my truth. And now defining myself by that. And when I look in, I'm just reminded. Um, with that, I mean, I'd like to share a couple of things as well um, yeah. through this episode. We want to give our listeners multiple points of view. Um, you have several. You share both sides. Um, first-hand experience as well as, I'll say, second-hand experience. Um, and personally, I have uh, a second-hand experience that was a huge challenge for me to We'll say overcome or, or deal with, cope with, accept, uh, all of the above. Um, it was a very close friend of mine, my buddy Jason, Jason Coleman. Our parents were friends before we were an inch in our daddy's pants. We'll, we'll call it that. Uh, so we, we kind of grew up as friends. Um, we would have sleepovers. We would play together. Our parents would hang out. We would go cause trouble. We would play hide-and-go-seek from our parents. When it was time for him to go home, or time for me to go home. Nope, we were outside in the street, hiding behind cars, in the yard, whatever we could do to hang out together more as kids, to cause trouble, and to cause our parents grief, because that's what we did. That's what we did. Uh, he moved it to Puyallup. We still hung out. We kept in touch. Our parents would drop us off on the weekends. I would stay with him a weekend. He would stay with me a weekend, and we would hang out. Um, very, very close friends. And um, in our adult lives, after college and stuff, he moved to Vegas. And uh, I'd been meaning to go down there and visit him. And he had come back a couple of times. And one time he'd come back, I hung out with him. Another time, I was really excited. I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, I was going to go to Vegas for the weekend. And I was like, yo, we got to link up. And he was like, oh, shit, I think that's the weekend I'm coming home. So I was like, oh, damn. So we tried to figure it out. The weekend I was going to Vegas was the same weekend he was coming home. It was a holiday weekend. And uh, so we never got a chance to cross paths. And before that, I didn't realize it then. I realize it now, but at the time I didn't have the tools to understand what was going on. He had reached out to me a little more than usual because we were both busy, right? Quote unquote, busy with life. We were 20 something year old kids. <laughs> We thought we were pretty good looking. We liked to hang out and have drinks and hang out and, and do whatever we wanted to do, right? So we were busy with that. And I didn't recognize him reaching out to me a little bit more. You know, hey, we need to hang out. We, we should definitely hang out. Let's let's get together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's absolutely do that. I mean, I'm in 100% agree. It's you're my boy. I want to hang out with you. I didn't realize that our time to hang out was finite. And I didn't have the tools to recognize that he may have been conveying that to me. That took me a long time to understand. 
And I'll never forget the day I got a phone call from a mutual friend of ours telling me that uh, he had hung himself. They were all out hanging out. It was another friend that had moved to Vegas with him. And uh, he just was said he wasn't feeling good and wanted to go back and relax and get some rest. And everyone just kind of, okay, you know, try to get him to stay and hang out with what, what your friends do, right? You're, you're hanging out, you're young, you're 20-something, everything's good, it's all smokes and jokes, and you're having a good time. Not realizing what's happening underneath. He goes home early, they get back later on that night, That was a phone call I'll never forget. And the first thing I said was, you gotta be fucking joking. Who jokes about that? Nobody, but that's the first thing that came out of my mouth. It's not a laughing matter, it's not a joke. I wanted to believe it was. I doubted it. I didn't believe it could happen. So first came doubt, right? When you deal with any loss or death, that's what I felt. Um, then all the pain and the realization that it really did happen. And then for me, it was questions. Why? Why did it happen? What could I have done? How come I didn't do anything? Why was I not a better friend? That led to a, a whole mess of feelings, right? So the memorial service was absolutely beautiful. It was loved by so many people. The, the church was overflowing. The doors were open. Not everyone could even get in. Uh, it was a church in downtown Puyallup, not too far from the fairgrounds. And to see the service and to see how many people and how loved he was, you would just have more questions. How? Why? I don't understand. You were loved by so many people. Why? Why did you feel that this was the right decision to make? And after that, I, it led to me asking myself, how come I didn't do anything about it? How come I didn't recognize this? How come I didn't see this? I wish we would have hung out together. I can't remember exactly what we did the last time we hung out, you know, all these questions I had, these feelings of an inadequacy because I felt that it was my responsibility to prevent this and I couldn't do it. After the service in the, in, in the burial, I didn't visit the gravesite for about six years because I was afraid, because I, I thought I didn't deserve to be there and to visit and pay respects again because I couldn't do something about it. For a long time as well, because he was such a close friend of mine and I had nothing but good things to say about him, I defended suicide as a choice because you weren't gonna tell me anything bad about my friend that made this choice. You're not allowed, <clears throat> you didn't know him. I don't care what your general thoughts are about the subject or the action. I felt stronger about it. So I defended his action because I defended him. 
And I realized that right, wrong, or indifferent, I think what should have happened is just open up the conversation and to not say the word so fast, committed suicide. Committed suicide. Say it. Think about it. Hear it. It shouldn't be taboo. It needs to be discussed. And if I would have had the tools then that I have now and the understanding that I have now at that time, things would be a lot different. And he may still be here with us today. It's hard to say that, right? And uh, it still brings some emotions to me and it always will. And I'm okay with that. Now, I wasn't before, right? It was the wound I didn't want to open back up. It was the wound I let fester on its own and scab up and it was probably infected and it was sore and tender. Just like that wound that gets infected, anytime you get near it, it hurts. So I didn't bring it up. I didn't talk about it. It was taboo. If I started feeling a certain kind of way about it, what did I do? Probably had another beer. Probably had another shot of whiskey. Probably called more people to hang out with. I battled my own demons dealing with it and found out a lot about myself. And um, I think it's, it's led me to be able to maybe recognize more of those things. And it gave me the strength to go and finally visit him on his birthday. Thank you. Um, so it's still... It's still a source of, of pain for me at times, but I welcome it. Because the reason why it hurts so much is because it felt so good when we would hang out when we were kids. And that's okay. Recognize there is a loss. Yeah. But those good memories are not lost. Exactly. It's, it's funny how you guys were mentioning like memories and you knew somebody who was extremely close to you that, that committed suicide. I knew somebody from my, I mean, growing up, we grew up together, um, and she killed herself this, just this last year. This is before anybody had spoke. I was writing this all down and talking about knowing her for years, that we used to play whenever, you know, it's snow. We'd all have the snowball fights and hang out. What I noticed is her showing more and more negativity throughout her social media. Mm -hmm. And... I wrote the last sentences, I feel like maybe I could have stopped it. And hearing like, you know, Roy reaching out in that moment, stopping you. You questioning, why didn't you reach out? You know, that puts the weight on the people that might realize it, but didn't reach out. Because it is a sore subject. You don't, you don't know how to bring this up to somebody who might be feeling it, but doesn't know. But you have a gut feeling. I, I didn't know. I didn't have the tools. We never, I mean, like I said, we weren't close. But the fact that she was my childhood friend. And now I don't, I can't say hello. I can't hang out in the snow. You know, those things that would remind me of her will always be there. The memories will mm. always be there. But the question of 
Could I have stopped it? Could I have just said, hey, do you want to go grab some coffee? It sucks. And it's, it's, it's tough for me because I've contemplated suicide myself. I tried once. Obviously, it didn't work. Uh, Good. Yeah. Good. I blame myself for my mom dying. And this is something I haven't told really anybody but close friends and family. She was already pretty sick, but me yelling at her. I yelled at her over some stupid shit. And I left to go upstairs to go take a shower and I just get a phone call from my dad saying, come downstairs. And he dropped the phone and all I hear is one, two, three, four. (laughs) What if I didn't say anything? Would she be here with me today? After having those deep thoughts, I had gone into the hospital. It was other related medical issues. It was just me being in the hospital. And at that time, all I had was laying there thinking. So my darkness kept growing and growing. Mm -hmm. To the point where I reached out to Rohit. That's why I was like, as soon as you said that you talked to him and it sparked a moment is when I had the conversation with him is... Your mom wouldn't, he said it to me, but he said your mom wouldn't judge you based off the last 15 minutes that you knew. And that sentence alone is 100% true. It's something that I never thought of because I'm sitting there blaming myself for my mom dying. But I know she wouldn't be mad. She was sick. It happened. But I'm taking the energy and using it for those last 15 minutes instead of the 27 years that I knew her. I mean, she made me the man who I am today. I know she's proud. I know she's happy up there. And I can't be mad at myself for what happened. It's something to get off my chest. It's a weight. But I hope this message helps, you know, one of the people, the 20,000 people who download our episodes or the constant subscribers, the people that listen every week. You're not alone. I mean, the reason we chose the title is because you guys actually matter. Everybody here matters. There's someone who will love you. Always is someone there to help you. Like you're saying, a team. My pillar, my four pillars throughout the dark time was my wife Stephanie, my best friend Kamal, my nephew Chetan, and Rohit. Dad's always there, he's my family, but without these guys, I don't know where I would be today. And when I consider my family growing and my family not just being blood, 
but being who are there for me day in, day out, who will be there at 2 a.m. to help me on the freeway, to take me to the airport, to, you know, do anything like that. I can trust those guys. And having that team and that foundation to talk to, to just... What Roy does best is just listen. He's doing exactly what he does right now when we talk. <laughs> he just literally sits there. And looks at and you listen, and says and, and the thing is, I want yeah. him so badly to say something. Right? Give mm. me some... Gra- no. He's like... Say something. Let me stop talking Because right that's now. when... That's when you know... I see it in your eyes. And, and I see it in other people's mm-hmm. eyes when they're talking to me about something just... You know, and they're emotional. And they're just looking for just that little olive branch to hold on to, to for me to say it's okay by me interrupting what's going on in here because you're having a connection between here and here and head and heart f- f- yeah and, oh sorry <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, for the listeners yeah you two people you're still good um but when we were talking you and and, and we've discussed personality styles on on the podcast you're an owl amongst the most depressed because you overanalyze everything. You just needed to have these thoughts that have been in your head that you'll try to say, you'll try to talk to someone else. And, and what do you get in response? Kyle, it's okay, man. Like, don't worry about it. Like, it's not your fault. Like, you know, whatever. And it's like, just let me, let me throw up my emotion. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I still remember, you know, just the same thing with Michael. You just see it. It's like, well, that's the thing. While you know, it's happening... As soon as I, we talked about that. The, that. the clock. Oh, yeah. Remember? In the hospital? Yeah. 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 The profound moment of my whole relationship, if I would have had it on the clock, would have been just the one second left that I spent, that I was fussing about, instead of the whole time. Mm-hmm. All right? But, that's huge. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's with the whole conversation, even like what we think about throughout universe and time and all of that, like all that span and then how much we've lived throughout it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just, just that moment of what we're so focused on and not the 27 years of me going to Graham Hill Park with her or like Graham Hill School with her, the walks, interactions with family, like all those memories are still there. Those are still some things that I can hold on to. But the thought of me killing myself because I thought I killed my mother would have put the stress on the four pillars. The, the friends who are nearest to me, like you're saying, is I'm taking everything that I held and dumping it over here. That, that thought even, it, it, it saddens you, but it also, it, it, it's a selfish thing, but at the same time, it's, it's all you think about when you're in that moment. Is I don't I don't want this pain. I don't know where to right. go for this pain. So you reach for the gun. You you reach for you know, hanging yourself, drowning yourself, driving a car ninety miles an hour, off I ninety was a thought that's crossed. Drive. I mean I'm driving like I could like literally just just do this, you know just do this and go flying. And it's it's that instant gratification that I could have got if. <clears throat> If I didn't have these friends to reach out to and them reaching out to me constantly, like, like Rohit does. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I love it. That, that's literally what I wrote is Rohit and I, Steph and my mom, they got so close together. Seeing her, seeing my wife be as emotional as I was because my mom gave her the love of, yes, you are my daughter-in-law before she passed away. 
you know, and I'm glad Stephanie got to see that. My mom loved her, you know, and she's, she would be happy and proud of what she's done today. I still blame myself, but this is something that I have to learn and grow from. It could have caused it, but it's not the reason that she passed away. And I live with that every day. Every day I think about her at night. It's my, like the owl, my mind is constantly running and at night it never shuts off, which is why I don't go to bed till two, three o'clock in the morning and you know, until you fall asleep. But change is like you're saying the new normal. I, I hate change, hate it because there's no consistency. There's this, you're throwing a wrench into like, the garbage disposal, you know, like, <laughs> that's basically what's happening and now you have to deal with it. And that sort of action, that sort of change that you have to do is scary. This room means more to me than probably Rohit, probably to a lot of you. This is where two points in my life have changed. One being when I left my former work and becoming an adult into working my current job and switching how I view life took place here within two chairs right here with right the other one being at the <clears throat> hospital but the group that i have here for you guys to talk to and i've said this multiple times when i was in the hospital all i could think about was the podcast because having someone to talk to and having this sort of community this brotherhood this sort of passion together meant something we all have different backgrounds we like you mentioned in the friendship episode we might not hang out so much outside of work but I still believe you as one of my bros because mm -hmm. there's so much that I can talk to you about and relate with you. I can trust you to go, you know, talk about certain things. I can get that type of a feedback where I'm not being judged. I'm not being criticized for something. I'm not getting the insert hallmark. <laughs> here. I'm not getting that. I'm getting actual results. And I think that's what I want to stress for all the listeners is knowing that you know, I might have said it, hey, call me, email me if you are ever considering it, because this is something that I will listen. I've gone through this with you guys, and I just don't want any friends to get hurt. So. And you're all our friends. Yeah. And with you saying that you still have to deal with all these emotions that you have going on. That's <clears throat> Ruben, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, do you mind sharing with the, with the audience um, about your specialty when it comes to this? Yeah. So kind of my background is I worked for, well, I was in the military. So in, in that, one of the things that I had to do was I had to interact with a lot of people that were serving men and women, different ages, ethnicities and so on. And everyone has their own way of how they interact with each other. Uh, different branches, how they interact with each other as well. But what I've learned from doing that is I had to take a class on uh, suicide prevention. When I took that class, I was like, okay, this is, you know, be cool. I would definitely like to learn this topic. Uh, I deal with a lot of people that that have that. As you know, a lot of soldiers, right, go through that issue, PTSD, you know, even before they even go overseas or do something traumatic that that brings up a lot of emotions having to go and do that uh, especially on the way back they've been through so much trauma that it happened so one of the things that that we did and one of the job functions that I had 
deal with a lot of people that were being deployed and coming back. So I took this prevention class. It's called uh, ASSIST, uh, Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. With that, there's there's a couple of, of points that I kind of want to make, and, and it's very specific on what I'm saying. Most people with thoughts of suicide, they actually do want to live. They don't want to actually commit suicide. And again, it's most people. Most people think about suicide and they signal their pain. A lot of times it's, they do abnormal behavior. And that's one of the things that, that were brought up, right? Unusual behavior. You have Rohit. Rohit all of a sudden decided to be not so positive all the time. What would you think, Amit? Something's definitely wrong. Right? Yeah. You know, if Rohit didn't reach out to you all the time trying to hang out, Michael, mm-hmm. you think, okay, what's going on here? I need to call Rohit, see what's going on. It's different behavior that you don't see from that person that you just need to try to reach out. I know what's going on. It's important for those people around, and this kind of was brought up as well, right? You have to hear and see and respond to those invitations. You're not always going to... You hear, but you're not hearing. And it's, it's very important that you kind of take some kind of class, some kind of prevention class where you can kind of learn a little bit of these skills. You don't have to be an expert, you know, and work at a suicide hotline or, or be a counselor or something like that. But having some sort of skill, some kind of understanding would definitely help. Because you never know who's going to reach out to you. Mm-hmm. It could be a complete stranger. <clears throat> it could be a family member. It could be a friend. So in that class, a lot of things that I, that I did learn was discuss suicide risks and uh, openly and safely. One of the things that was very drilled into my head when we took that class was, it's a saying that they, they go and they, they teach you, was ask the damn question. Do you want to commit suicide? That's kind of, you know, straightforward and blunt, mm-hmm. but you'll be surprised on how many people will actually say yes. Uh, again, back to my job, I dealt with hundreds of people a day. And you'd be surprised when they start calling you just for random stuff. And then five minutes later, they call you again because they're asking another question. So that's abnormal. Why would one person call back so often in a day asking questions? Say, hey, are, are you feeling all right? They're like, yeah, I'm fine. It doesn't sound like you're fine. You know, let's have a conversation, right? And you start talking to him a little bit, and it's it's just random conversation. It has nothing to do with anything specific. It's just random conversation. And then you get to that point where you're like, something is really wrong. Then you just ask the question. That's one of the first things I noticed. But you had that on your desk when you sat next to Rohit. Yeah. It was right on the edge. It was displayed proudly. And I remember seeing it, and that stuck out to me. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And back then, I, I, I thought, I wish I would have had that. Because, as you had mentioned, you, you can gain these tools from other sources. Unfortunately, I had to gain them through a huge tragedy, right? 
you gained them by other means and you were able to help individuals. And I thought that was huge. I'll never forget that. When Rohit and I were talking about this episode, I mentioned how perfect it was that you had just recently become more involved in the podcast and how I remember seeing that uh, certificate on your desk. And I mentioned that to Rohit that, you know, you, you had had that. I don't know where it came <clears throat> from or why you had it because I never had a discussion with you about it until just now listening to you. So thank you. From my own personal experience, I've, I, I've had a moment that did change my life. And I did consider suicide as well. It's when I had uh, my accident when I was in the military. I broke both my ankles and my left leg all at the same time. Mm. And I was practically veteran for like almost a year. Couldn't walk. Yeah. I was 21 years old and I had to physically learn how to walk again. It was a very low point in my life. The one thing I did not want to do was burden everyone else. And I was a burden to everyone in my family that was helping me out. It's a very low point. But that low point and that burden that I was placing on everyone else also is what turned me around. Because I was like, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put more burden on my family. I did not want to do that. At least you got that far, though. Yeah. At least your thought process went that far. Yeah. And that was before I even had this training. It, it That did help me, especially when this opportunity came up for me to take this training. It was something I wanted to do from personal experience, but then also to help other people. So it was, it was a very powerful training that I took, and I do appreciate it. And I do uh, still to this day uh, apply it where I see I can. Is this a training that like our listeners can take? Is this special yeah. to something or how? No, no, no. It's it's a training that our listeners can take, and I will. Um, as you're the podcast social media guy, I will post <laughs> it. <laughs> I will put it out there for for everyone. Also, that uh, suicide hotline does help, and just to also know when if you're if you know somebody that's going through. Uh, changes or unusual behavior or they're contemplating suicide you know that hotline is not the only answer there's other options out there you can go think you can think outside the box there's have them talk to their family even if you're their family and you're trying to figure out where can i take my son my daughter uh wife husband wherever whoever it is in your family where can i take them you can go to the YMCA if it's open. You can go to a school and go talk to a counselor there just to get that foot in the door to get somewhere you have to go. Because I guarantee you at that heat of the moment when something like that happens, you don't know what to do. Just take that first step to someone that you think could possibly be a help, and then they'll help you. And the other tools I know notice in the process is, is your listening. You were mentioned just where Rohit was, just listening, accepting where you're at. It's not out, really, tell me, you know, in fact, one of the great questions we use, I use, and, and part of that is, so tell me more about that. What's going on? And not what can, here's a solution, but how can I support you? What do you need most right now? And I mean, if you want to talk about just relationships, husbands and wives, and you want to figure out, you know, one of the things I learned was the fact is, 
what, what do you need me to do? Do you mean, do you need a solution or do you need me to just listen? And amazing when I just listen, they can actually go through the process and un, you know, that big ball of wire and spaghetti <laughs> and I'm in my little waffle. Unravel. Everybody knows what that means, right? So they'll figure it out and they're like, okay, great. Thanks for, you know, and walk, go on the merry own way. And it's like, what'd I do? I did the most valuable thing was just listen and be with and present. I didn't have to have a solution. I think for that's, me, that's I would, what most people want, though. Yeah. Is it, that, that's, who? Who's the, who's the one that wants the solution? The ones who are asking. That's why, that's why I got mad. Not necessarily mad at Rohit, but that's why I was just like, why aren't you saying anything? Yeah. But the fact that he didn't say anything is what made me, like you're saying, take that ball and unwind yeah. it. And me yeah. figuring it out myself where the solution is. That, I think, is the pinnacle of understanding of you can change. This is, this is within your power to do. And what he's really doing is empowering you to yep. discover what's in you to find the solution that's best for you. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. I got it. It's difficult at times. It means we got to get down and open up the stuff we don't want to see. Yeah. So these are possibly some of the tools that you guys are looking at. Uh, but the thing I also heard you guys say I wanted to draw attention to is your team. How do we recognize who's on our team? How do the listeners find people to put on their team? Especially when they're in isolation or in a desperate moment mm -hmm. and they don't feel they have a team. You guys are lucky to recognize that you had the team before, that where you were at and everything else. But you were walking in a whole bunch of the grief statement process, right? Blame, yeah. shame, guilt, transfer, all those different things, denial. Yeah. And it's like, you know, where's the people we can bring around ourselves? When we talk about the recovery programs, it's okay. Hey, where's your five people? In descending order, you can reach out and call when you're in that and you're wanting to relapse or you want to do this. You find the people there that you can trust that are your strength. But it's where do you get your strength? Where do you get that team and where do you build so that you can succeed together? We're probably uh, getting ready to wrap up soon. Uh, there's four things I just want to say really quickly. One, we've shared with the audience at least two of the people that have contacted me about this and, and Michael and Amit, there are a lot. And because people know that they can come to me and they can trust me, I respect everyone's trust in me. And it's because of that, that I'm saying this, it wasn't really till this year that I realized how common it is for people to feel this way. I've had more people this year tell me that They've been thinking about it or that they want... What is it? I need you to say it. Sorry. I need you right. to say oh, it. You're right. <laughs> I need you to You're say right. it. Say the word. It's, oh, it's it. not taboo. Don't You're treat right. it like it is. It shouldn't be. It's like he who must not be named. He's like, no, it's Voldemort. I've had more people reach out to me telling me that they've been thinking about suicide or that they've attempted suicide at some point in their life, more so this year than, than before. And I don't know what that is, but the reason why I'm saying that is because... It's something that, that there's so much hurt behind. And one of the, we didn't read it on air, um, but, but it was so powerful. I, and I'm going to kind of summarize it. I'm, I'm going to read it. It's, it's a little long, but, but please bear with me because it's that important to me. My son was depressed and had thoughts of suicide. I took him to counseling, therapist, put him on meds, but he eventually refused. He was 18 so unfortunately, I could not legally force him 
nor would his counselors talk to me about what was going on in his life. He dropped out of school his senior year with one semester left. His emotions are up and down. He still hates life, but says to me that he would never kill himself. It's the hardest thing as a parent to watch your, quote, adult child go through. Parents, notice the signs early. If your kids are emotional, crying, sleeping all day, they don't want to do anything, they don't celebrate their own birthdays, etc. Before it's too late and you have no control over their mental health, I get scared every day coming home from work in fear that he's taken his life. When we did this survey, 25% of the people responded saying they have attempted to commit suicide. That means of the 60 people who filled out this, 15 of my friends have attempted, not thought about, attempted. 15 of my friends at one point felt so low about their situation that escape was their best solution. And that's the, the, my last point. Audience, there are eight of us who are a part of this podcast. All of us have an email address at gystpodcast.com. If you want to reach out to any of us, it's just our first name. It's Rohit, Kyle, Sam, Amit, Gummel, Aaron, Ruben, Glenn. It's our first name at gystpodcast.com. No matter where you are, we're here. And sometimes what I tell people is it helps talking to someone who doesn't know you. Because we feel if we're talking to someone who knows us, there's guilt, there's shame, judgment. And, and that's, that's phenomenal. And I think um, if there's anything else that we can convey to our listeners other than we're here, is that you're worth it. Right? You matter. You matter. You matter. We did this for you. We really did. But thank you guys for listening today. Thank you guys for coming. You, especially Michael, um, gleaned so much information from you in such little time. It's beyond thankful for it. So thank you. It was a privilege. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And for the listeners as well. Yeah. Um, it's an honor. Today's episode, uh, I thought about it, Rohit, when you were downstairs. You seemed afraid to say the word suicide and you kept saying it, treating it like it was an unspoken event. That's the stigma that we need to get around. Yeah. It's uh, it is absolutely 100% a tragedy. And, and I don't want to sit here and say suicide is okay because it, it's, it's a challenge that needs to be dealt with. But it's okay to talk about it. You know, I wrote, I wrote down on some of the notes that I had here that because mental health is considered taboo, that idea is what prevents suicide prevention. Mm. Right. In what creates hurdles that we have today. And I can tell you till I'm blue in the face that I'm here for you. But if you don't believe that you matter. And if the stigma behind mental health is considered that it's a, it's a taboo subject. Continues. You won't make a phone call. You won't create that invitation that Ruben mentioned. And people won't be able to recognize that invitation. Let me throw one thing, and I want to borrow off of you, Amit, is the fact that uh, often we look at it not going or choosing not to go to find help because it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. When actually, when you were sharing what yours, all I saw was strength. 
and you're sharing your story, it was from a place of strength and courage. So I, I pondered since we chose a subject if I wanted to talk. Like it was, I didn't know until I wrote the episode, right? Amit mentioned to me as I'm building the outline for the episode that he wanted to share some stuff. So I, we put it in there. We made it, we made it work. And I'm really glad you did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, just one last thing. Sorry. <laughs> I know we're trying to wrap up. Yeah. yeah one no, more last good. thing. You're way out here, right? <laughs> just um, one more. Uh, along lines of what you just said about Amit, I think it's, it's also important to recognize that there were uh, a few people who reached out to me um, wanting to be a part of today's episode, but just logistically, we just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. Um, it would have been a three-hour episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I want to recognize those people as well. And you guys know who you are. Um, I don't want to... Yeah. I don't feel comfortable saying your names Confidentiality on Confidentiality and trust. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a lot of friends who, who pop up on air all the time. If you'd like to be a part of the podcast, reach out to us. Even if it's just listening. Yeah, we have, we have people who come here and, and just... Yeah. You don't even know they're here because they're just listening. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's it's like Amit said, there's something powerful about being surrounded by positivity every couple of weeks, knowing that you're in a safe environment, that you're not going to be judged. Good stuff. Uh, so with that, folks, we're going to sign off for you. Thanks once again for listening to another great episode of the GYSD podcast. Get your shit together. GYSDpodcast.com. Visit us on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, check out our YouTube channel. We're going to have a lot of resources on YouTube. This video, we're going to have a ton of stuff on there uh, before the actual recording on the podcast today. Again, as we leave you today, just know that you matter. And questions are not a sign of weakness. They're a sign of strength. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you folks next week on another episode of your favorite podcast, the GYSD Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to our GYST podcast. We hope you learned how to get your together.